Our reading this morning is taken from 1 Peter, chapter 1, beginning at verse 13. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy, because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall. But the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray as we turn to God's word. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your precious word, which is both powerful to bring new life and enduring to sustain life. We pray this morning that we would experience this power afresh in our lives together. We pray this for your glory. Amen. There was a man who bought an old broken grandfather clock from 
an antique shop, and when he discovered that there would be an additional 20 pounds delivery fee, he decided to take the clock um, out of the shop around the corner to where his car is parked and take it home himself. So this man hoisted this massive grandfather clock onto his shoulder, and he lurched out of the shop and headed around the corner towards his car. But as he rounded the corner, the, the, the clock swung out into the road and smashed into a cyclist, sending the cyclist sprawling onto the road. And as the dazed cyclist sat up in the road, and as he looked up and saw this man carrying this massive grandfather clock on his shoulder, the cyclist said, why on earth can't you wear a wristwatch like the rest of us? Why can't you be like the rest of us? Last week, we started a new series in 1 Peter, and we saw the great inheritance that Christ has won for his people, the gracious gift of eternal life. But having reminded his readers of this gracious, wonderful gift, Peter now goes on to explain to his readers how we must live in light of this wonderful salvation. And put very simply, the message is a call to be different, a call to stand out from the world. And we see this uh, just after a, a quick glance at our passage this morning. So look down with me at, at verse 14. Uh, Peter writes, Do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Or verse 16, be holy because I am holy. Or 2 verse 1, therefore rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. If we have put our trust in Christ, Peter calls us to live a transformed life. We are called to be different, or as he says in verse 1, to live as strangers in the world. And it is a call that we need to hear daily, for the world around us exerts tremendous pressure on us to conform to its patterns and ways of thinking. The world calls us to seek pleasure in the things that it finds pleasure in. It tells us to conform to its rules of morality and ways of thinking to adopt its standards. But it's not just the world around us that exerts pressure on us. The church itself can offer a similar but more subtle temptation to us. As one writer put it, many Christians have what we might call a cultural holiness. They adapt to the character and behavior patterns of Christians around them. As the Christian culture around them is more or less holy, so these Christians are more or less holy. But God has not called us to be like those around us. He has called us to be like himself. So we are called to be different. We are called even to be like God himself. But here's the catch, is it not? How 
how can we possibly aim to live our lives like God himself? If you've been a Christian for any length of time at all, then you'll know that your attempts to, to be like God are a bit like my attempts to do the high jump at school, uh, full of good intention, but always ending in failure. Peter knows this. And so as he calls us to live lives of holiness, to, to imitate our heavenly Father in our holiness, he gives us the right motivations, the right perspective on life that will help us increasingly to transform ourselves to be more like Christ. And so this morning we, we're going to look together at the motivations we need to live holy lives, lives that we are called to live as those who trust in Christ. Four motivations. Uh, the first one is this, that uh, we must look forward. Verse 13. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. At first glance, this verse seems to contain a number of different commands, but there is in fact one main command here, which is this, set your hope fully on the grace to be revealed. In other words, look forward with eager expectation to the glorious salvation that Peter has just described in the first 12 verses of his letter. The rest of the verse uh, explains how we are to look forward eagerly. Uh, we are to hope by preparing our minds for action. Uh, literally, in the, the translation is that we are to gird up the loins of our minds, uh, which sounds slightly odd, but the image is of a, of a person back in the first century wearing long robes, which would hinder uh, running but this person is being called to, to gather up the, the robes and tuck it into his or her belt and to run, uh, freed up to run. And if you like, we are to gird up the loins of our minds. In other words, we are to prepare our minds for active thought by clearing the decks and getting ourselves in the state where we can think properly. And just as it takes effort to gather up your robes and tuck them into your belt, so it takes effort to get your mind thinking correctly. We are to prepare our minds for action. We are to be self-controlled. And in that way, we are enabled to set our hope fully on the grace to be given us. I think for many people, the temptation is to live our lives by looking backwards. To live our lives in the past by looking back to past hurt or past suffering, past scars, and to say, the past is what defines me. The past is what give me, gives me my, my patterns, my behavior, my personality. It, it's what I've experienced, I'm stuck with it, and I cannot change. But actually, for the Christian, Peter says, it is the future that defines us. It is a future which should shape our behavior and our patterns and our longings. We must look forward. Uh, please don't mishear me. I'm not saying that uh, we don't go through uh, deeply de uh, distressing uh, challenges and battles. I'm not trying to belittle suffering and hardship. And certainly Peter, in his letter, would not belittle suffering and hardship. 
And yet the way to deal with suffering and hardship is not to live in the past, but it is to look to the future. So we must look forward. Imagine Usain Bolt. Uh, He has publicly declared that he has set his hope firmly on being the 100-meter champion in a few days, a future event. Now, if his hope is fully set on that future event, we would be surprised, would we not, if we found him at McDonald's ordering lots of Big Macs. And we would be surprised to find him lounging around on the sofa watching telly and doing no training at all. Indeed, too many Big Macs and too much time on the sofa watching telly, and we would start to question whether his hope really was firmly set on being the 100-meter champion. You see, our future hope shapes our present actions. Of course, the great difference between us and Usain Bolt, uh, apart from the whole speed issue, um, is that our, our future is certain. It is guaranteed, whereas his future is uncertain. And so how much more should our certain future of a glorious future spur us on to live transformed lives. We have a wonderful hope of eternal joy with Christ, an eternity where we are transformed into his perfect likeness. If our hope is fully set on that moment, surely we should live now in the present like those preparing for that moment in the future. If we are to set our minds, if we are to prepare our minds for action, then it means that at work, we do not set our hope fully on the promotion. It means that when we experience ill health or suffering in our lives, we do not set our hopes fully on our returning to health. If people ridicule us for being Christians, it does not throw us because our hope has been firmly set on the future. We must look forward. And in many ways, the rest of the chapter shows us how we are to prepare our minds for action looking forward to live as God's people. But it all begins with what we choose to think about. It is a choice. And it's not easy. Maybe we need to take some scriptures about the future and put them up in our office or next to the mirror. Maybe we need to talk to our spouse or family before we make any hard decisions, making sure that we are thinking about the future before we act in the present. But we need to be people who prepare our minds for action so that we are constantly thinking about our future grace, our future hope. We are called to be different. First of all, we must look forward. Secondly, we must look up. Verse 14, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Obedient children. When we become Christians, we enter a new family. We have new siblings and we have a new father. We are the children of God. We have a new relationship. It is a vertical relationship between us and our Heavenly Father. And that is why we must look up and remind ourselves of that vertical relationship of our Heavenly Father. 
before Lorna and I uh, were married, we went on a marriage prep course, which was extremely helpful. And I can remember on one evening being told about the possible danger of getting used to living with in-laws. Because, of course, um, every family is different. Um, every family has, has its own sort of natural way of doing things. Uh, some families eat together. Some don't. Some families love talking about politics and the world. Others don't. And so it can take time for uh, the new couple to get used to living with the new family, to working out how each family functions. And if you're not aware of the differences, there can be friction. Uh, I'm happy to say that um, I got on very well with with the in-laws. But it can take time to discover uh, the new family patterns, the new family habits. And whether we are married or not, Peter reminds each one of us, if we are Christians, that we have been adopted into a new family, and that family has new and distinct expectations and behavior patterns. We are not at liberty to tell uh, the father of the family how it is appropriate to live. It is not down to us to decide what is right and wrong. We have been welcomed in to his family. And so verse 16, we are told, be holy because I am holy says our new father. We must look up to our heavenly father. Society around us, I think, tells us that we can do whatever we want as long as it doesn't hurt anybody else. It tells us that morality is a personal choice. It is subjective, down to us to discover. But this is not the case for the children of God. If we are tempted to gossip or to massage the tax return numbers, or to be careless with the truth. We must look up and remember our Heavenly Father. Next, we must look back. We must look back. At uni, I had a friend called Mike, and soon after Mike passed his driving test, he borrowed his dad's brand new car, and he went out uh, one evening. It wasn't just any old evening, it was Christmas Eve, and it wasn't just any old car, it was a brand new BMW. It was all going so well, until on the way home, uh, he crashed the car and he destroyed it, completely wrote it off. He got towed home by a truck, and he left the car in a smoldering wreck on the driveway. And it was late, so his dad had gone to bed. And, uh, and Mike tells me it was the longest night of his life, Christmas Eve, lying in bed, just imagining the conversation that would happen the next morning, Christmas Day. Uh, Merry Christmas, Dad. Uh, have you checked outside the window yet? Um, just, just wanted to know. The longest night of his life, uh, full of fear, full of dread about what his father might think. And yet it strikes me that in many ways, each one of us is a bit like Mike, lying in bed on Christmas Eve, full of dread. Because each one of us has been given much by our Heavenly Father. And yet each one of us has, if you like, made a wreck of what he has given us. We have caused offense. And according to verse 17, we have a Father in Heaven who will judge each man's work impartially. And that is to lead us to fear, 
because our Father knows how we have lived. There is a day of reckoning coming for each one, and the Father will judge impartially. There should be fear. But imagine Mike's joy on Christmas morning to find out that his father did know about the accident that, and that his father had insured the car properly, that all was covered and all was forgiven. His father was not angry. So too for us, as we look back at the cross, imagine the joy that we should have. Verse 18. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life, handed down to you from your forefathers. But with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. We must look back. And as we look back at that moment when God decided to redeem us with the most precious thing in the universe, far more precious than any gold or silver, his very own son, a lamb without blemish, the eternal son dying for us. When we look back at that moment and we see the cost of our salvation, the cost of our ransom, we are led not to take our salvation lightly. If we truly believe that we have a heavenly father who will judge each person's work, and yet if we truly believe that the most precious person in the universe has been given on our behalf, that must be a spur to us, both to gratitude and to transformation. Imagine if Mike were to, to thank his father. Thank you so much for letting me off for crashing your first car. Um, do you have the keys to your second car? I think I might just head out and, and drive around the block as fast as I can. It would be unthinkable, wouldn't it, to tread on the graciousness of his father. So too with us. If we look back at the cost that God paid for our ransom. Surely we will not tread on that cost. Surely we are motivated to live as Christ would have us live. But of course, if we don't look back, if we look down at ourselves and we lose sight of the Father's judgment but, and of Christ's cost, we become complacent and lazy in our Christian discipleship. Our time is up. We must look back. Finally, we must look down. And just very quickly, that is to say, we must look down at God's word. So um, verse 23, for you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living word of God. Or further on, uh, 2 verse 2, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. In other words, it is the word of God which was powerfully at work when you were new when you were born again into a new hope. And it is the word of God which will keep you uh, growing and prospering in your salvation. Uh, men will come and go like grass, but the word of God will stay forever. And if we are convinced of the power of the word of God, we are to crave it long for it. We bought a, a puppy recently, and uh, this is the first of many, I'm sure, puppy stories. Um, 
But um, when our puppy was very young and it was time to feed her, uh, she got so excited about the thought of being fed that she would, she would literally rock back and forth from paw to paw, just desperate for the moment when she'd be fed, just eager for that food. And that's a wonderful picture, I think, of us as Christians as we come to God's word. We should be almost rocking back and forth, eager, longing, because we know that his word is powerful, that it, it, it nourishes us. And so as I finish, a simple challenge for each one of us. What is our relationship like with God's word? Do we hunger for it? Where does it fit into our lives? Do we uh, look at it on a Sunday, maybe at house group during the week, but is the Bible closed the rest of the week? Peter says, long for the spiritual milk of God's word. Keep your Bibles open and by it you will be transformed. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the cost of your son on the cross. We thank you for our ransom, which is far more precious than anything in this world. Father, please this morning help us to savor afresh what has been done for us. And may we, with new excitement and motivation, decide to live for you out of joy and gratitude. We pray this for your glory. Amen.